Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, it's good to have you guys here. It's good to be here. Um, Thank you for coming. Uh, What a beautiful weekend to kind of launch into the 4th of July. Amen? Yeah? Yeah. You know, our family likes to say that the summer starts on July 5th usually because that's usually the day where we actually get the first warm day. But this year, 90 degrees on the 4th of July, right? So be a blessing. If you live on the lake, it's great. If you don't have an air conditioner, that's not so good. Um, so, but we are glad you're here today. Happy 4th of July. Um, we, uh, I love, I love this because we're in the, this, this summer of the Psalms and I'm so excited to be here. Um, it's good to be back. You know, I was on staff here for four years, um, almost 12 years ago, um, Pastor Mary, um, led me to the Lord right in that mother's room in the back. I was baptized on this stage. Me and my wife were remarried on this stage. Um, a couple years later, um, we've got a great redemptive testimony. Um, so I grew up as a Christ follower here. And so it's always good to come back home and just be part of the family. There's a lot of new faces, but there's just as many of the old faces that I get to know. So it is a pleasure to be here. You have an amazing leadership staff here. Pastor Ray, Daniel Taylor, the whole team. Um, I've gotten to spend some time with them again this week and they are, um, they love you. And everything that they do is to try to get you to want to be closer to Christ, to follow Jesus in a deeper, more intimate fashion. And so just know that about your leadership. It's an honor to be part of the family. It's good to be home for a weekend. So um, we are excited. This is uh, this Psalm, uh, Psalm 139. Um, this one is near and dear to my heart because I actually have one of the verses tattooed on my forearm. And so when they said, uh, what Psalm do you want to do? I said, well, let's just go with the one I already have written in, right? Um, so, um, but this is, in all honesty, um, it's near and dear to me because this, this verse 23 is something I live my life by now. I live my life by it now. And David was, King David, who's the psalmist in this, he's the one that is, is going to teach us why this is so important. So um, I know you guys normally stand up um, uh, just when you read the scripture, but today I'm gonna ask you to do something a little bit different. See, this, this psalm is actually a prayer. It's a prayer that King David prayed to God, okay? And so what I wanna do is I wanna ask you to just close your eyes. I want to ask you to just take a deep breath. And I'm going to pray this over you. So I know it'll be up on the screen and you'll get distracted. But let's go back to the old place where there wasn't big screens. And we'll just sit there and just listen to the pastor pray this over you. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, oh, Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained me for when were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me to a way everlasting. Dear Father, we lift up this word to you. We lift up this time of praise and worship to you. May it be pleasing to your ears. May what we learn today bring deeper revelation of who we are and who we are in Jesus Christ. May this word give us hope. May this word um, bring joy to our hearts. May it also challenge and convict us. God, may we receive what we need to hear. May we see what we need to see. God, you are good and we declare that. We declare this time is solely to worship you and praise you as the one true holy God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this psalm begins with the idea of being known. I would argue that one of the greatest desires that we have as a people is to be known, to be truly known, to actually be truly known for our hearts, for actually what's in our hearts, instead of sometimes what comes out in our words or what comes out in our actions. We just want to be known deeply. We want to be known intimately. And the psalmist, King David, in this is saying that God knows us deeply and we are created intentionally with the purpose in mind. See, I love this psalm, especially during this time, because there is so much chaos and disorder in this world. There's people wondering about identity and purpose. Was I truly created this way? It doesn't feel right. I heard several times this week, I don't even feel good in my own skin. And sometimes it's because we're not known, people don't understand us. But we want to be known. We want people to know us. So today's psalm should help us see as individuals that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That we have complete purpose and that there is a God who is all-knowing. He is all-present. And he is in complete control of everything that goes on. See, I believe that this psalm will bring a calm and reassurance during a time where there's lots of uncertainty and lots of unknown both in people, places, and things. The world is chaotic. We are all on journey. We're all trying to figure out, what is my place in this kingdom of God? And David's here to share with us today that not only do we have purpose, we were created by the almighty God, Yahweh. Intimately, beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully created. So before we get into this, Let's, let's discover who is this man? Who is this man that would write something so beautiful, so vulnerable, 
And then all of a sudden he goes into this part where it's like, oh, by the way, will you kill my enemies? And then he's like, oh, but search me. Who is this man who can be so honest to God in everything, both his good thoughts and his bad thoughts? How did he become this way? Well, to understand that in 1 Samuel 16 and 17, it gives us some ideas. It tells us that King David was a brave man and he was a warrior. But it also tells us that he played the harp. I love that because that means he's bold and courageous, not afraid of anything. But the harp, it's always given me a vision of someone that could be very vulnerable, someone that can be very soft, someone that could be very calm and silent. We find out that he killed a lion, he killed a bear, he killed a giant Philistine named Goliath. There was songs sang about him that he killed 10,000 men. This was a man who was brave and courageous. But this also was a man that for many years had to run from King Saul and hide in caves. A man that was bold and courageous, but also was fearful. We find out that he was well-spoken and he was fine-looking. And actually the scriptures say that he was a ruddy man. That word ruddy actually means healthy from work. I said this last night and this morning, those little pictures that we have of King David being this little weakling going up against this big giant, they're just not true. I'm sorry to ruin kids' world. This was a healthy, strong, courageous, brave man that while he was, uh, after he was anointed, he went out and it says that he went back and tended his sheep. Well, when you're tending your sheep, you're out in creation all the time. This is where David was learning to grow in his relationship with God, to grow in trusting God, to grow in relying on God. So it tells us in the scriptures that when a man, someone uh, came and took one of the sheep, a bear, it said that he just ran after him killed him, slayed him. And then a lion came and he did the same thing. And so when he went up against Goliath, he's like, why wouldn't the God that delivered me from these big beasts, why wouldn't he deliver me? And he tells Goliath, he tells Saul first, he says, I'm not afraid of that man. I got God of the universe on my side. I'm not just like that bear and that lion, he will deliver me from this. And he goes up against Goliath. He's like, man, this is a bad day for you, brother. I got God on my side. This is a man who developed a strong belief and understanding and trusting and relying on God. But he's also a man that we see in Psalm 23, he would say this. He said to the Lord, and a lot of people have read this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in path of righteousness for his namesake. We see that he knew that God was refreshing, restoring his soul, that he needed him to, to build and to give him everything he needed for sustenance. But in Psalm 22, before that, we read, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night and am not silent. Here's a man that says, you refresh my soul, you are my substance, or my sustenance, but where are you? I love this. I love King David. He's, he's my favorite in the Bible because King David had attention. He, he, he understood the human condition. That on one hand, we can go to God and say, God, you've delivered me and you've provided for me and I can see blessing. And on the other hand, we walk over here the next day and we're like, where are you? 
Don't you see what's going on in my life? Don't you see what's going on all around me? Where are you? I cry out to you and you are not there. And then the next day he's like, oh God, you lie me down in green pastures. See, this is the human condition and this is our relationship with God. And this is the man who would write something so beautiful but still have hatred in his heart for his enemies and for God's enemies. So if we go back into the psalm, let's see what David understood. That first verse is so beautiful. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. Are you known by God? When you pray, are you able to go before God and say, oh God, you have searched me and you know me. Do you believe that the God, your creator, that he actually knows you inside out? And are you okay with that? David goes on to say, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down, and you are familiar with all my ways. Oh boy. He knows our every thought. He knows our every word. He knows everything about us. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. That word that you, were, you said and you were like, oh, God knew you were going to say it even before you said it. See, David's sharing with us in this God's omniscience, which means he is all-knowing about everything. It says, you hem me in behind and before. This idea of hemming me in means you have complete control over me. Behind and before, you knew me. You set me apart. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Are you sitting here today thinking about the fact that God knows you deeply and understanding and going, I don't quite understand that. That's too much for me to understand, God. You know me, you understand me, you're, you're everywhere, you're all knowing, you know my every word. I don't understand what that means. This is what King David would say. And then he goes into the fact that God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere. And he says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. See, what David understands in this is he's saying that all the way, this vast space between the heavens and the underworld, and he uses the word shul, which means the underworld. He doesn't actually use the word hell, but he's inferring that God will be present nowhere, everywhere, that there's nowhere God won't be. In fact, God will be even present in the underworld or what we might refer to as hell. It's just in that place for those people who decide not to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they won't experience any of God's love, grace, and mercy. All they'll receive is righteous judgment. And what David is saying is you are everywhere. You will be everywhere and you are everywhere now. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me. I love this because that means he's ever present. And no matter where you're at or what you're going through or what situation you are, it's telling us that God is walking with you. And by the way, he's also holding you with his right hand. Can you picture God just putting his hand on your shoulder in a moment of distress, in a moment of unknown and just saying, it's okay, I'm with you. I'm here with you individually right now. And I'm walking with you. I am present. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. While you might think that I'm not here, I'm literally right by your side with my hand in the small of your back guiding you. 
And then he goes on to say, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is light to you. See, God is light. So God can come into the darkest of situations and he can bring light. He can walk into your life in your darkest moments, in those moments where you want to hide, where you want to run, where you want to escape, where you want to isolate because you think nobody cares and nobody loves you. You've done something too wrong. You don't deserve love. And God says that I'm going to walk into your darkness and I'm going to bring you light because I am everywhere and I am with you and I am holding you. And then David moves into God's omnipotence, which means God is in control of everything. And he says, Whew. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Isn't there something just something that's just vulnerable about the idea that God knew you before the beginning of time and he created you exactly the way you are with every limitation, with every imperfection. God created you. He created the good and the bad. He knit you together. He knew what you were going to look like. He knew what you were going to think. He knew every single thing about you in your mother's womb. Isn't there something reassuring about that? And then he says this, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. This idea of fearfully means reverence or to stand in awe of. What David is saying is this, is that God who created me and knit me together in my mother's womb, he stands in awe of me. Have you ever thought of God standing in awe of you? Like looking at you as creation and going, no, no, I did that. I created you exactly the way you are. The good and the bad, I stand in awe of you. And then he goes into this idea of being wonderfully made. This means distinct. While you're running around trying to figure out how you're gonna be like somebody else, he says, I created you to not be like anybody else. While you're going, I wanna be like him, he's saying, no, I want you to be like you. When we look on Facebook and social media and we're like, I wish I just had that life. And he's like, no, you got this life because I gave you this one. Would you step into it? Would you be who I called you to be? Flaws and all? David, I love you. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I, made, when I was made in a secret place. This is referring to the idea that God, God just spent time knitting you together before creation in a secret place, designing you fearfully and wonderfully made. I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body that in Hebrew, that actually means your eyes saw my fetus and my embryo. God knows that individual in the moment of conception. I will not go on a rant today. 
but I need you to hear what I said. He knows that person at conception and he created and knitted that person together in the room. No matter what the situation is, God knows and he is still in control. And that is amazing. And we can't look at that scripture and not go, that is not true because it is true because it's right here. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God knew he described your life before the beginning of creation. He knew he described. You say, David, what about limitations? Is God involved in those? I tell you, there are no mistakes. Nobody is a mistake. We are created, crafted personally and purposefully to bring glory to God. Nothing about us is accidental. God just doesn't simply allow us to be a certain way or carry a certain trait. Every cell of our being is intentional. And we find this if we go to Exodus, God is having a conversation with Moses because Moses is gonna go before the Egyptian king. And he would say this to Moses. Moses said to the Lord, oh Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. God is involved in everything. God is in control. There are no mistakes. John Piper would say it this way. Whether it's more or less direct or more or less indirect, more or less by active intrusion or more or less by tactical permission, however it is, God controls it. And the control is complete and pervasive. Nothing in the universe is random without divine design and purpose. I love this idea of that God is in control more or less by active intrusion. God just intrudes into our lives and does what he wants. But there's times where he just tactically allows things to happen. But you have to know it's for a design and purpose. It is not a mistake. It wasn't an accident. God tactically allowed it for his design and his purpose. And that's for the glory of all of his people. So we see that David says, you have searched me and you know me. You have searched me and you know me. It's not just that God knows everything. He knows me and he knows you. It's not just that God is everywhere. He is everywhere with me and he is everywhere with you. And it's not just that God created everything. He created me and he created you. And we can find joy in that today. So if that's the case, then what's our response? What should our response be to something so precious and so wonderful? How do we respond to a creator who knows me, is with me, and in control of all things? How do we respond? Let's see what David says. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. We should respond by saying, God, you are amazing. You are Everything about you is precious. Every, every way you go about things is awesome. Your law is perfect. You are righteous. You are holy. We should respond with the idea that we can't even understand. We can't even understand any of his thoughts because they're too vast. They're like grains of sand and you can't even count that. But then all of a sudden, David takes a, takes a weird turn. 
He says, if only you would slay the wicked, O Lord. Away from me, you bloodthirsty man. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you? O Lord, and abhor those that rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Has there been any time in the last three or four years where you've looked on Facebook or looked around and, and had that same feeling of David? This, this anger, this hate, this disillusionment for people who would come against God, for enemies of God, the people who wouldn't love God? I'm sure all of us at times have seen that and, and we have this like, how do they not? And this is what David said, should I not be upset or hate these people who hate you? Should I not? I mean, we've all probably asked that question. What do we do with those who reject you and won't come to you, that, that blaspheme you, that speak out against you? What do we do with these people? What do we do? The thing that you have to understand in this is David did not say in verse 19, hey, would you give me ability to kill all my enemies? He left vengeance to God. He said, if you would slay the wicked, O God, which means he understands that it's not for his vengeance or revenge. In fact, he knew God. That means he also knew Jesus. And he also knew Jesus was gonna teach us this in the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of the Father in heaven. He causes his sons to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, David would have understood that while he desired that hate and that anger that he had, that it was also not a righteous anger that he was supposed to love his enemies. In fact, Paul affirms this in Romans 12 and says this, do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is not mine to avenge, I will repay. It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, become, do not overcome evil, but over, not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, what the Apostle Paul wrote, from us, wrote for us is that vengeance, righteous judgment, this is all to be left for God, not you and I. In this moment where there's uncertainty and hatred towards our God, yes, I understand anger. I understand it. I'm with you. I don't like it. Just like David. And we can honestly go before God and we can say that. But it's for his vengeance to have. We're supposed to be loving them in this moment. We're supposed to be praying for them in this moment. Does it mean we can't feel? God gave us feelings. But what do we do with those feelings? Because I know even in some of these times when we feel that maybe that bubbling of hatred and irritation and frustration, there's a part in us because of the spirit in us that goes, that's kind of ucky. And we can understand that. And so what does David do in this case? He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to a way of everlasting. See what David is saying, God, would you scrutinize the things in me that are anxious? Would you look inside of me in that offensive way? It actually means the hurt, the pain, the sin. David's saying, hey God, I know there's some things in me that probably aren't godly, that probably aren't holy, that aren't set apart, that look ugly. There's hurt, there's pain, there's hatred, there's anger, there's frustration. God, would you go in there and take a look around? And see, here's what you need to know, and this is what I love about David. David's saying, even if you go in and look around and see that stuff, I know you still love me. I know you still love me, so it's okay that you go in. God, maybe you know what's wrong in me. I don't know what's wrong in me. Would you reveal to me what's wrong in me? Are we vulnerable and honest enough to look internally, look at ourselves and open up our arms and say, I know there's some ugly in me. I know I have sin. I know I have hurt. I know I have pain. I know I have trauma. There's some stuff that are dictating my life and I don't want them in there anymore. I don't want to live this way anymore. I don't want to have hate in my heart. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to keep hurting all the people around me. James would tell us this. James is talking to Christians in his book, people that have just started believing. And he's talking to them and they're quarreling just like we are. People that say this is an outdated book. <laughs> Christ followers quarreling over stupid, to use Pastor Ray's favorite word. Quarreling over dumb and stupid. And James is saying, we can't do that any longer. So he goes before him and he says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and well. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. There's a key word in there. In order to be vulnerable enough to allow God in to change us, we're gonna have to humble ourselves. We're gonna have to put our pride away of thinking we know everything, to thinking we've got it all together. We're gonna have to humble ourselves before the Lord. But you wanna know the cool thing is when you do that, he lifts you up. You be vulnerable and humble before God, he will lift you up and bring you back to the person he originally created you to be. But we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. And it says in here, we can't continue to go on sinning. In fact, we need to hate our sins so stinking much that we get down on our knees and we call out and it says that we need to wail and mourn and cry over our sin. It's not saying we can't be joyful. It's saying we can't be joyful about sin. We can't continue to just go on sinning and live in our hurts and our traumas and pains. You wanna know the why? Because all we're doing is continue to hurt each other. Have you ever heard the expression, hurt people hurt people? Yes. 
If we continue to go on sinning no different than the world, that is why we have a hurting world. The church is supposed to be set apart and holy in a safe place where people can come and be loved and experience grace and mercy. Is that the church of today? I don't know. Because I feel like we're just as angry, just as anxious, just as hateful, just as sad at times. I feel we have, I don't know. I look around and I just ask a question. I don't know. But what I do know, if we were a people that would humble ourselves and go before God with vulnerability and say, search me, oh God, and know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to a way everlasting. If we were to tattoo that on our arm, we might have to do something different. Because you know what? I'm held to this. People ask, what's that? Search me, oh God, know my heart. I'm like, well, I have to ask God to come in and look at the ugly in me. They're like, well, that sounds terrible. I'm like, no, it's amazing. It's transformed my life. It's changed my life. I don't have hatred. I have no more sexual addictions. I still get angry at times, but I'm not an angry person. I still have anxious thoughts, but I don't live in anxiety. But I'll tell you, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of tears, a lot of pain. See, we're all running around pretending like we got it all together and we gotta stop. Every single person in here has had some sort of hurt. Every single person has sinned. Every single person has had something. Every single person has questioned who they are their identity and what they're about and what their purpose is. But it's okay because God knew. We don't have to be scared to go before God. We have to ask ourselves today, are we willing to continue living like this? I'm not. I don't like the ugly in me. What about you? I know I still got some in there. What about you? I'm here to tell you it's okay. Because David tells us that it was described in the book of God before the beginning of time. It's okay. But it's not okay, and this is the last part of James, it's not okay to look in the mirror and know that something's wrong and then walk away and continue to do the same thing over and over again. That's what he calls double-minded. A person that God reveals or somebody reveals and you go to the mirror and you go, I know that's ugly. I don't like it. Um, I know I'm sinning. I'm going to keep on doing it anyway. I'm not going to do anything about my hurts, my trauma, my pain. And then I'm going to walk away and I'm just going to keep hurting myself and others. That cannot be our Christian walk. Because if it does, we're going to destroy each other from the inside out. Is this connecting with anyone? Yeah, yeah. And if we do this, people, if we do this, if you go get in a brave group, we've got a process called Genesis Process at my church, Pure Desire, Betrayal and Beyond, go to therapy, go to a psychotherapy, go anywhere that you can get help and someone can help you uncover. See, the Apostle Paul knew many years ago in Romans 7, why do I do the things I know I ought not do? I know what I should do, but I keep doing the things I shouldn't do. Why do I do that? 
what Apostle Paul knew 2,000 years ago, that there was something in his brain called the limbic system. Now, he didn't know it because they didn't have science. But he knew something was wrong. He knew something was still dictating how he was going about his life. And he was like, I don't want to do that anymore. And he said, but God. See, the Apostle Paul must have known a lot about David because he said, but God, would you get in there? He even asked the thorns to be removed. And God says, no, I'm going to keep those there to remind you that I delivered you. And so even some of my anger that still exists, I know how far I've come. Sometimes I have to realize, you know, God's brought me a long ways, but he's reminded me, remember when you dealt with this? Remember when I lifted you up out of it? That's good, David. It's good. But you still got remnants. Search me, oh God, know my heart. The question we have to ask ourselves this week, this is the only thing I'll leave with you. Are you willing to go before God and say, search me, oh God, and know my heart? And if you do, if you do, your life will begin to change forever. Amen? Father, thank you. You are good. God, I lift up every person in this room to you right now. There's so many people right now thinking about different things that I've said, hurts and trauma and pain and sin and things that they've got inside them. God, would you comfort them in this moment? Would, you, would they not leave here feeling bad or, or, or feeling like there's something wrong with them? Would they, would they just leave here and be like, God, I wanna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna come to you and I'm, I'm gonna ask you for help. Would you heal me, God? Would they find joy in the revelation of seeing exactly what you see, but also knowing that you will move them and transform them? Would they walk out of here going, God, I don't know what this looks like, but man, let's, let's go on this journey together. God, I wanna put a stop to this. I don't wanna be like this anymore and I don't wanna sin anymore. Father, we grieve our sin today before you. God, you are good because you are a God that knows us. God, you know every person in this room. We declare that as truth. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for moving us. Thank you for transforming us. Thank you for Jesus who died on the cross to atone for our sins so that we might have new life, new life in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.